stand strong against the tide and to be found faithful. This morning, fathers, I stand before your people. It is my prayer that you'll anoint with your spirit and equip me, empower me to speak this word to these people. And I believe you had something on your mind when you gave me this message. I think you have the same thing on your mind right now and I pray, Father, that you'll help me to speak it right. To get the words out in a way that they can be blessed. So, Father, speak to your people. It's in your name I'm praying. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Luke 10. I'm going to start reading in the first verse. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them on ahead in pairs to all the towns and villages he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. Harvest is so great, but the workers are so few. Pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send out more workers for his fields. Go now. And remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take along any money or traveler's bag or even an extra pair of sandals. Don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter a home, give it your blessing. If those who live there are worthy, the blessing will stand. If they're not, the blessing will return to you. When you enter a town, don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide you. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality, because those who work deserve their pay. If a town welcomes you, eat whatever's set before you. Heal the sick. As you heal them, say, the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe the dust of your town from our feet as a public announcement of your doom. And don't forget, the kingdom of God is near. Truth is, even wicked Sodom would be better off than, that, than such a town on the judgment day. I read a passage like this, and, and I guess maybe it's just me, but I'm amazed because in this, you just see a part of Jesus' organization that you don't see otherwise. I mean, when I read this passage, what I notice first is that Jesus had a bigger and better organized group then I, you really get just from a casual reading of the New Testament. 
I'm always looking for clues to what's happening behind the scenes. Looking for what life may have really been like with Jesus. And, and this passage just gives me this, this brief glimpse of the inner workings of Jesus' ministerial operation. And what he has here is just a well-oiled machine that's functioning like it's supposed to. Consider this. We think about Jesus and the Twelve, right? I mean, normally about Jesus and his immediate small group of disciples. They would travel around, kind of randomly preach and minister wherever they would blow them, right? But when you read this passage, you suddenly see that there are 72. Where'd they come from? 72 disciples who are near the heart of his ministry. They're in positions of leadership. And we see that Jesus is sending out these 72 to places where he is planning to go. Jesus has an agenda. He's got an itinerary. There's a plan there. He, he's working out of some calendar that someone has. One of these guys probably has got a day planner. You know? Let's see. On Thursday, you'll be preaching in Capernaum, and next week you'll be in Philippi for a potluck supper, and then the week after that you've been invited to the home of a rabbi in Jericho, and you've got to make all these appointments. And these 72, they're the advanced team. Before Jesus arrives in a town, they've already been there. They're working out the details. They're making arrangements. They're getting the groundwork started before Jesus shows up. I think that's cool. Because that's exactly how evangelists do it today. If you deal with like the Billy Graham crusade evangelists, they, they, they've got this advanced team that arrives weeks before the crusade begins. They begin posting flyers. They take out ads in the newspaper. They generate publicity. They make arrangements for the event to be a success long before the evangelist ever arrives at the airport. That's fascinating and all to me. But hey, why y'all came, I know that. You want to know what does God say to me today? Well, let's take a closer look at these 72 disciples. Just who were they exactly? Do we know any of their names? Not one. Do we know where they were from? Or their families? Or what they were doing before they met Jesus? We don't know them. I would imagine they were probably there in that upper room after the day or on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down. There were 120 there. I imagine those 72 were among them. And when Paul talks about 500 eyewitnesses who all saw Jesus after the resurrection at the same time, they were probably in that number. They were devoted to Jesus. They were dedicated in their discipleship. But as far as history goes, 
They're just faces in the crowd. And for that reason, they're a lot like you and me. We don't share the spotlight. We just are dedicated to Jesus. Amen? We're faces in the crowd, but they weren't just faces in the crowd to the Lord. The Lord knew them, and he had called them, and he had given them a job to do. The first words of our text says, Jesus chose 72. If you read now the NIV, it says Jesus appointed 72. Another translation says Jesus commissioned. He didn't just draw names from a hat. He didn't just take a block of 72 and say, okay, y'all. He knew them by name and he gave them a job to do. Now, we may be part of a nameless, faceless crowd of Christianity, but Jesus knows you. And knowing you, he's given you a job to do. We have a commission from Christ. What is your task as a believer? My task is to go to church. No. It's bigger than that. My task is to be an example of what it means. Yeah, but it's bigger than that. In the Gospel of Mark, it says it this way. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I like that verse. I like that translation of that verse because it doesn't specify human. It says if the thing is breathing, make sure it hears the gospel. If it's alive, tell it about Jesus. You just never know. You know, you don't want to leave anything out. If it is a creature, tell it the gospel. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, says that Jesus said to them all, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You think, wow, that's a lot to do. I've got to baptize and teach and uh, go to all the world. and Not really. If you look at that command, there's really only one imperative there. Jesus says, by all means necessary, make disciples. That's our job. Actually, if you want to get into the literal Greek, it says cause them to become disciples. The task of our commission is to cause the whole world to become a disciple. Now, these 72 were sent to places where Jesus was planning to come. Their job was to get everything ready because Jesus was on his way. Jesus was going to be there shortly. And when he arrived, they wanted to have everything prepared for him so that he could do what only he could do smoothly. They were his advanced team, heralds for the Messiah. We have the same job. This world is a mess. Amen? 
you just turn on the news and it seems like every day, day after day, the news is bad, it's getting worse. And yet our task, our job, is to prepare the world to meet God. Are they ready? You know that uncle or cousin or brother who is so funny at the family reunions? Is he ready? Because Jesus is coming. You know those guys that work, the ones who tell those jokes? Are they ready? Because Jesus is coming. And the kids who ride their bicycles up and down the streets of the neighborhood, just good kids. Are they ready? Because Jesus is coming. And it's our job to reach those people within our reach, to touch those lives that we can, because he sent us to make everything ready for his arrival. I know it feels overwhelming because, man, we've got to make the whole world become a disciple. It takes so much. And we think about the things that we have to do as a church and as a disciple. We've got to feed the hungry. We've got to open a clothes closet. We've got to have vocational training center. We've got to offer employment opportunities and after school tutoring. And, and, and the list can go on. And I'm sure these 72 must have felt overwhelmed at times as well. I've got to make hotel reservations and dinner appointments with local leaders. We have to provide meals and hospitality rooms for Jesus and 12 others. But actually, as Jesus gave them their instructions, their job was reduced to a simple, single task. Proclaim the kingdom of God is near. You see, wrapped up in that concept, the kingdom of God is near, is the idea the king is coming. The kingdom is found in the king. When Jesus arrives, there's the kingdom. It is the place where God rules, where his will is done where the things God wishes are carried out. And so the message of these 72 was simple. Let them know they've got a chance. Let them know that things are about to change. Remind them. Inform them. The kingdom of God is near. And at each opportunity you have to do the things that you do, at the heart of it is this message, the kingdom of God is near. When you heal the sick, tell them, the kingdom of God is near. If they receive you and show you hospitality, tell them the kingdom of God is near. If they reject you and refuse to listen to you, tell them the kingdom of God is near. You see, as believers, we're called to do a lot of things. Good things. As a church, as a believer, as a Christian, as a member of society, we're asked to do many different good things. 
We're called to be an example. Amen? When I was growing up, I don't hear it quite so much. But I was always told, you know, you have to have a silent witness. You know, you live your life with integrity, and that life of integrity is a witness, and that's a good thing. Amen? They will understand, people will understand that there is a unique quality to you as you live your life as a silent witness. Amen? Is that sufficient? Is that all you have to do? No. Wish it was. It's not. We're called to use our talents, our abilities to invest in the lives of people. We're called to help out folks who are needy. And not just needy in terms of poverty stricken, but needy. They've got a flat tire on the side of the road to do acts of service. All that's great, but our mission is a message. And a message needs to be communicated. There is a message that is at the heart of what Jesus asked us to do. And that message is the kingdom of God is near. Because the king is coming. The king will be arriving shortly. Love people. Be an example. Meet needs. But unless you're speaking the good news about the fact that there is life in Jesus, we're not getting the whole job done. Ansi, would I embarrass you if I used you as an example? Ansi sells cards. She's good at it. Amen? I mean, she'll sell two, three, four, half a dozen cards in a day. So, you know, she's great at it. Just suppose she was really good at meeting people in the parking lot. She would greet them with a warm smile, make them feel at home. She would show them where the coffee pot is and offer them donuts and just set them at ease. She would answer all questions about the car that they're interested in and take time to help them relax and feel at ease but never brought them back inside to begin to close the deal. She wouldn't be a good car salesman. She might be a great greeter, but at some point, you've got to bring them off the lot and get them into the office to sign papers, or else the deal is never closed. A lot of Christians... Make friends for Christ. And they're warm and they're genuine and they'll show you where the coffee pot is. And they'll help serve people. But when it comes time to making that step, the best thing that ever happened to me was when Jesus got a hold of my life and changed me. That step, at some point, must be taken. We have to take the message and communicate else. Or else we just never close the deal. You can do all kinds of good things, but if you aren't sharing the good news about Jesus, you're not fully obeying his commission. If you look through this text that we read this morning, I see about four different places where Jesus repeats this exact same message. When you arrive in one of the towns, tell them the kingdom of God is near. When you heal the sick, tell them the kingdom of God is near. When they welcome you, tell them the kingdom of God is near. If they reject you, 
warn them. You can do this, but the kingdom of God is near. I want you to notice the message never changes. Strategies do. Techniques get developed and then drop. Methods get adapted depending on circumstances. But the message is always the same. The message of the gospel is universal. It is the good news about Jesus, and it's absolutely the same for the businessman and the plant worker. It is the same good news for the cowboy and the biker and the stoner. The good news about Jesus is the same right now in the 21st century as it was when Christ first sent out these 72. The kingdom of God is near because the king is on his way. The message never changes. There are folks who may want to adapt that message, to change that message, to alter that message, but that's not our job. We are the messengers. The messengers do not create the message. We just pass it along. And I want you to notice that message has two sides. Luke 10.10 10 says, But when you enter a town and you're not welcomed, go into its streets and say even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we're going to wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God is near. The good news of a hope in Jesus is found in these words. The kingdom of God is near. But those words are also a warning for those who refuse to accept him. The kingdom of God's near. You got one shot. Don't miss it. The gospel message that we share is good news for everyone who believes it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But that same message is also bad news for those who refuse it. To everyone who believes it not stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10 says they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They make a choice. And the choice is not to choose. God in his mercy has provided one way of salvation, one way to be forgiven, one way to live forever through faith in Christ. But if there is one way, that means every other way fails. If there is one way to forgiveness, if there's one way to life, if there's one way to heaven, every other way ends in destruction. That same message of hope and love and life also includes a strong warning. Luke 13, 5, Jesus said, I tell you no, but unless you repent you too will all perish. There is now given one name, given to men by which we must be saved. Our hope is in Christ. The kingdom of God is near because the king is coming. Let's pray.